Once in a while, a geographical place just takes a hold of you. You feel a connection to the land and the landscape. You talk to the locals and they share with you their secret locations of where they like to go or the stuff in places that aren't on the tourist brochures. And that's when you realize you're hooked. You love that place. You want to come back as soon as you can. Maybe for another holiday. Maybe it becomes the place you find a reason to move to. That happens way more than you think. And today I'm going to share with you a conversation with a character who came to the Caribou over 30 years ago, fell in love with it while traveling Canada, and then found a reason to build his home here. Literally. He's a director with the Williams Lake Cycling Club, president of the Caribou Mountain Biking Consortium. He's owned multiple businesses in Barkerville and is credited as being a driving force for the creation of what is now a legendary tourist attraction at Soda Creek, B.C. called the Hatsul Heritage Village. Today, I talk with Thomas Schoen. This is the Untold Stories of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast Podcast with Jason Ryle. Listen as he shares stories from some of the region's true characters. Okay, so Thomas, thanks very much for taking the time to uh, sit and chat with me today. On the line with me is Thomas Schoen. And Thomas, uh, I'd like to start off my podcasts with a little bit about uh, what I know about you. And to be fair, I'm not sure you and I have actually ever met but what I, I, you know, I do know you a little bit by reputation. I know you're involved with the Caribou Mountain Bike Consortium. I know you have uh, experience with the Williams Lake Cycling Club. Um, you're also, uh, you have some past experience with Hatsul Heritage Village. And if I am correct, I believe you helped start the Hatsul Heritage Village. Is that right? That's absolutely right. That is. I'm the chair of the Caribou Mountain Bike Consortium and a director for the Williams Lake Cycling Club. Uh, both those positions fit really well with with the line of work I'm doing. Uh, I work in the in the mountain bike industry on a on a provincial level, and I I have a background in tourism, and that's where my involvement with the Hatsul Heritage Village comes into play. That I. I started in 1992, 93, with an opening at 94. That's fantastic. Now, Thomas, obviously your accent gives away the fact that you're not originally from the Caribou. When did you first come here? I came here in 1992 to build a vacation home. Uh, you're, you're right. Uh, even after close to 30 years in the Caribou, I still have a, have a strong accent, uh, and that's, yeah, due to coming from from Germany, uh, from from the Bavarian Alps, to be more precise, of so right at the border to Austria and Switzerland, beautiful beautiful country. Uh, but I I came in '92 to immigrate to the to the Caribous, build a build a house near McLees Lake, and looked at potential business and 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 work opportunities in the early nineties. So, what was it about uh, the Caribou, Thomas, uh, that attracted you to want to move here? Had you ever been here before? I have. I I started traveling 
at a at a relatively young age from 14 15 years on i started doing solo trips mostly mostly throughout europe uh, i always prefer traveling to the more northern countries to english speaking countries so i spend a lot of time in scotland ireland britain uh yeah you know started traveling around on an interrail pass and then a little bit later on a motorbike um and and then around the age of 17 18 19 years i started traveling to to north america i did a lot of trips to the states uh often worked odd jobs to besides school to make extra money and, and afford all these trips but started traveling quite extensively in the in in, in the western united states and uh, a paragliding mountaineering trip is what what brought me to the to the interior of DC. I bought an old pickup truck with with a couple other friends. You know the classic student story: twenty years old, mm-hmm. old pickup truck, very little money, and we were just heavily into the outdoors, canoeing, paragliding, mountaineering. That was our thing. So we traveled from. From Seattle all the way up to Anchorage, uh, over two and a half, three months, uh, took a summer and just explored the western, western North America. And I, I never forgot uh, the the caribou. There was something that that drew me to this place. I visited Barkerville back then. Uh, I I actually paraglided above the Kaufman's Ranch uh, near Soda Creek, wow. very close to where later I started I started working at the Heritage Village. So you know that left me with the, with a deep connection to to the caribou. And a few years later, when when a when a distant friend of mine bought a piece of land here, uh, strictly by by coincidence. Uh, I thought I'm I'm going to visit that guy. I'm going to see what what this is all about. So I I came here, uh, got a little bit of money together, worked hard, and 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 built up a small home out out in the country. And 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 throughout that process, through spending a summer here, building, constructing, meeting locals, meeting ranchers, I thought I. I don't really want to go back home to Germany. So I had to, obviously, I had to follow the immigration procedures. So so the following year, I, I made up my mind. And in my early 20s, I was I was not even 25 years old. I thought this is this is the rest of my life. So in a nutshell, <laughs> there you have it. Wow, that's fantastic. What got me here. Yeah, and of course, you know, a lot of lot of stepping stones, a lot of lot of struggles along that way. As soon as I made up my decision to actually come here, uh, finish finish that house that I started building the summer prior, I found out that it's just not that easy to <laughs> to get my immigration. And you know, I mean, we we have to remember this was all in the early '90s, pre-internet. Research was difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, just to get in touch with with someone who knew what to do, how to do, how to follow the steps and protocol was was really tricky, especially for me at a at a at a very young age. And one of my biggest struggles was I had no money. I didn't immigrate with 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 uh, with a lot of cash in, in the bank account, so I couldn't just go out and 
and and start any type of business or or buy my way into the country so to speak as a as a business investor but one of the things that always interested me and it's something that that a lot of germans have an interest in is is the is the indigenous culture of 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 North America, the, the history of, of First Nations in this in this continent. So I always I always had an interest in that. I always read a lot of books in my during my childhood, and I thought there must be an opportunity to work with First Nations and and bring their culture to not just tourists but also to to Canadians who who often don't interact with with First Nations and 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 again we have to remember this this was 30 years ago and I realize things have changed tremendously uh, on the past to reconciliation mm-hmm. but 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 I I wanted to 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 grab that idea and come up with some kind of a of a of a business venture that tied tourism and 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 First Nations together, and that's when I approached I think uh, maybe fifteen to twenty First Nations communities uh, all over all over British Columbia. I traveled from Vancouver Island all the way up to Nishka territory and and approached various fans. Uh, I, I I I just knocked on 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 the doors of 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 the offices of the band offices and in many many cases nobody had an interest in listen to this young long haired kid from Germany with a heavy accent <laughs> they were they were pretty much laughing in 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 my face and I understood they have they have bigger issues and, and, and bigger struggles to deal with and to spend a couple hours talking to this to this kid there. But interestingly enough, the community that was the closest to my home, to where I was building a house and to where I really wanted to settle was the Hatsulj First Nations. Uh, they Back then, in the early '90s, they still went with the with the name Soda Creek. Uh, the traditional name came later in the mid to late '90s, uh, but they were they they had an interest when I approached them, and I think I uh, there there was some luck involved for sure when I when I went down to the band office at at Soda Creek. Now all the offices and most people have moved to Deep Creek, but when I went down there, there was. There was an elder uh, sitting there in the in, in basically in the waiting room, uh, waiting for 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 another appointment, and he started talking to me. He asked me why I'm there, what am I doing, and the name of this elder is probably familiar to a lot of of your listeners. He's a he's a prominent elder in in the interior, and that was Ralph Phillips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Ralph. Ralph saw something there. He thought there is something there. He was kind of waiting for this for this guy. He was waiting for this catalyst to to spark something. So he got me in touch with Chief Lenny Sellers. Uh, Lenny Sellers was a young chief at the time. Uh, he was in his second year of, 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 of his term as a chief. And Lenny was very open-minded. He sat down with me and he listened. And from that first discussion from that first meeting it took 
months to get to get more people on board uh to 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 initiate more meetings to uh allow me to do a presentation to chief and council uh Cheryl Chapman came on board uh Beth Sellers another former uh, chief of the Hudson First Nations came on board so gradually the interest grew and I was so excited because I thought Soda Creek has exactly the infrastructure that I was looking for. They had this beautiful restaurant on Highway 97 mm-hmm. um, that was open back in the day overlooking the Fraser River. I thought this is perfect. We've got we've got a restaurant on site. You know, within 30 minutes you can drive to the Williams Lake Airport. So I thought the infrastructure tie-in with Highway 97, with an airport close by, with two large communities, Quinell and Williams Lake, relatively close by uh, for amenities and 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 resources. I thought Soda Creek is absolutely well situated to start this type of tourist business a reconstructed uh heritage village but then really the the best thing that Soda Creek had to offer was the site itself right at the banks of the Fraser River overlooking the river fishing grounds this beautiful piece of land that i later learned was right at the borders of the three main nations in in our area so you had the carrier to Coton on the west side of the Fraser you had carrier up north and you had the Shuswapmuk uh, people to the south so so the actual site where the heritage village is is built uh, has a, a history that goes back thousands and thousands of years as a gathering place as a meeting place for indigenous people so i thought wow we we we've, we've got it all and so the creek got on board and 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 from there it, it it all started it was a it was a long process but it was a it was a wonderful experience as you can imagine in future episodes i'm going to talk to people who are uh, currently involved with the hatsul heritage village but for those that don't know can you tell uh tell me or tell people what the hatsul heritage village is what it's all about absolutely the vision that we created back in the 90s that vision still stands it was not to recreate a museum like historically accurate uh first nations village we wanted to 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 create a place for people to meet for the indigenous community and non-native people from all over the world to come together and share stories that's really it in a nutshell the infrastructure that's on site is secondary um that's why you know this goes back to long long discussions that we had over over almost years you know should we have tipis on site they were the easiest thing for us to purchase with very limited funds and they made some really good uh, accommodation options for travelers and tourists uh but we do know they were not traditional to to the to the Shuswapmo people mm-hmm. so but 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 again you know that was that was not the idea behind it the idea was to to meet people and have elders like Ralph Phillips to tell you stories about their community about their life 
And then the second part of that site was to host workshops. And that's what we have done extensively in the 90s. We had groups coming over from Japan who learned how to make uh, drums as they would have been made 150 or 500 or 1,000 years ago. We taught them how to tan heights. We taught them how to prepare meals cooked in the ground pit cooking methods we taught them how to how to fillet fish you know like all those things traditional plants uh knowledge so 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 again it was never the intention to to create a museum uh it was it was always about creating a meeting space a place for people to get together and in that sense it became really successful because for years and years and years you had uh, school groups visiting you you have people coming from all over the interior and the province who who in many cases don't have the opportunity to meet uh, the indigenous population and 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 share stories share experiences and that's exactly what the heritage village is all about well, that's fantastic. And I know that um, uh, the Heritage Village is still going strong. I mean, we're in the times now of COVID and COVID, I think, has impacted. We know tourism businesses have taken a, a serious blow, not just here in Canada or the Caribou, but all around the world. But I think that that, that international appeal and interest in Indigenous culture is still very strong in Canada and uh, internationally as well. And I'm, I'm hoping that we find a way through this uh, confusing time when it comes to the uh, uh, accessibility of travel, uh, that we find a way through that and that places like Hatsul and and other tourism attractions that we have here in the Caribbean. I mean, I want to see tourism succeed everywhere in the world, but I'm, I'm focused more on what we can do for tourism here in this region. And, and so I know that Hatsul is still going very strong, and I, I uh, credit them for continuing on with your vision. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're, you're 100% right there. I mean, I was... was with 15, 16, 17 years of uh, experience as a, as a tourism operator, both at the Heritage Village and then later on in, in, in Barkerville, uh, my, my heart goes out to all, to all tourism operators. I can only imagine how difficult this year is. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the tourism business isn't the easiest industry to, to, to make a living to start with. Uh, people work extremely hard. The season here in the Caribou is relatively short. Uh, the same, very same is true for Barkerville, of course. So, uh, so it's, it, it's not, it's not easy in the best of years to, to 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 thrive as a tourism operator here in the interior and now with covid it must be an in, incredible struggle uh but that's where where we see a lot of help coming from our local uh, tourism tourism organization which of course is fabulous and yeah i i i really hope all these smaller operators can can pull pull through this difficult season. Mm, me too. So, uh, yeah. uh, Thomas, let me change gears here a little bit on you. And you mentioned that uh, shortly after your time at Hatsul that you have experience in Barkerville. Uh, tell me more about that. You know, Barkerville was the next step. And, and you know, how ironic. Here I came to work with the First Nations population and then 
and then a few years later, I'll end up in, in this, in this so not indigenous museum heritage site. Uh, but I, I got approached from an, from an old friend of mine who was, uh, who was a director with the then called uh, Caribou Tourism Association. Now, of course, it's the triple CTA. And that was Robin Sharp. He was a director with, with the organization for many, many years. I uh, worked in Barkerville and later became uh, the mayor of, of the District of Wales. A uh, wonderful man and a mm-hmm. good friend. And and uh, and because of my involvement or because of getting the, the Heritage Village started, Robin approached me and said, we we are thinking of opening up uh, Barkerville for accommodation since it became a park, BC Parks. It, that that has never happened. People weren't allowed to stay in Barkerville, but maybe you're the guy to to help us out with some ideas. Uh, maybe you can develop a feasibility study, a business plan around accommodation in Barkerville. So in 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 a nutshell, I did that. I wrote I wrote a business plan. I wrote a feasibility study for for the heritage site. And and after those documents were released and 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 the government had a chance to look at them, they decided they wanted to go that route. They followed up and and any any operator within within the BC Parks operates under the uh, BC Parks license. Um, That's right. So so Parkerville put out a contract to restore one of the old buildings and to turn it into into um, yeah into a small bed and into a larger bed and breakfast or a small hotel and i be, be, because i did the, the the legwork that led to it i thought that that could actually be something for myself uh, the heritage village was very well run by by cheryl chapman more and more community members took over ralph phillips was working at the site so i felt good uh on on moving on at, trying out something different i put a bid in on 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 the bc parks contract to to operate a, a business in barkerville i i won the bid and and i turned an old building that hasn't been used in i don't know how many decades and decades uh into into a small but high-end bed and breakfast uh, it was the old saint george hotel across from the masonic hall a lot of your a lot of your listeners will be will be familiar with the building it's one of the larger buildings in barkerville and mm-hmm. it was it was basically a shell it was an empty building so I I went to Barkerville and again with with very little with very little money in my bank account I I knew I had to do most most of the labor most of the construction work myself luckily I I I had that background I I, I can do a lot of a lot of construction work so so slowly uh, over the period of of one summer I I renovated that building. Um, and and turned it into and turned it into a high-end bed and breakfast and it was a fantastic experience it was a long time out of my life uh, i spent in total 15 years in barkerville uh, at the end i owned two businesses i owned the candy store in barkerville mcmahon's confectionery 
and I met thousands and thousands of interesting people from from all from all over the world. I had yeah, I had folks from from everywhere stay with me, and it was just it was just an amazing experience. Uh, it, it, it was I, I was in such a unique position because because I was running an accommodation business. Obviously, I was allowed to stay on site, but I was the first person since Barkerville became a park to be allowed to stay on site. So many, many nights when I had no customers in the shoulder seasons, it was just me in that heritage village. It was me and a hundred plus buildings for safety reasons. I had keys to all the other buildings and I spent many, many lonely nights there with a very poor phone landline, with no internet back then, hardly hardly a radio signal. Uh, once in a while, I could dial CBC radio in, and I spent many, many lonely nights, but I... I would I would bet you that I've seen more of Barkerville and I know all those displays <laughs> and, and even stuff that's not on display better than anyone else, maybe besides the curator. So it was it was it was a crazy experience. You're listening to the untold stories of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast. We'll get back to the stories in just a moment. I've had the chance, and I think it was just in the last couple of years, to stay the night in Barkerville, and I'm I'm fairly certain that it was at the St. George's Hotel, and and I didn't realize that you had the connection to that facility, but uh, you're right, the experience, the feeling of being in Barkerville at nighttime is it's very surreal because Barkerville we know is um, you know it's one of the oldest communities in British Columbia and in fact I think uh, some will say that it predates Confederation or uh, British Columbia's involvement in that but it is very raw it is very rugged it's very historic and I liken it to some of the old movies that we've probably grown up watching the old westerns of pioneers and frontier towns and that's exactly what Barkerville is or was now it is uh, it's a, a tourist attraction but staying the night there is a very unique experience it's it's a world apart from camping but it's camping's probably the closest thing I can think of very much so yeah I I, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there yeah it's just such an experience to spend a night within this narrow village you've got a hundred buildings that are unoccupied and then it's you and just a handful of other guests that are with in in this village you know I mean many nights after my guests went to bed often it was very late 11 midnight. I I went outside and then went 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 for a walk just through town to take it all in. It felt it yeah, it was it was an incredible experience, you know, and then the, the other thing too, and I'm just I'm just thinking back about that time. I mean for 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 almost fifteen years I lived my my life, well, at least from April to to October in a costume. You know, like all the other employees in Barkerville, the interpreters, the the other merchants, they they work there from 10 to 5 or 6 or 7, and then they go home to their lives. But because I had guests in the building, I was always in costume. Mm -hmm. It was such an experience. 
experience. You know, it was, it was, yeah, I, I, I had very little spare time. I hardly ever got, got home uh, during those years. Uh, later on, when I, when I had the, the candies go on top of the hotel, things got a little easier. I hired a manager. I could take the odd weekend off or a couple of days during the week. But for many, many years, I, I lived 24-7 in Barkerville only to do a quick trip to Cornell to, to grab supplies. And I mean, as you can imagine, in those years, I had so many, so many interesting uh, experiences, you know, stories. Like, I mean, one story that comes to mind, thinking back on Barkerville, was my, was my citizenship ceremony. You know, how unique. In 2003, I gave up my, my German citizenship. And and just by sheer luck, the timing was right. I had the hotel in Barkerville. Uh, the lieutenant governor back then was the Honorable Iona Campagnolo. She came. She stayed at my place uh, wow. with her RCMP officers. So I'm I'm sitting on 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 uh, on my dinner table in my costume with 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 Iona and she serves me out of a bottle of scotch that she was gifted by by the queen holy cow <laughs> we're, 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 we're sipping a glass of scotch the night before I do my, I I got my my citizenship at the theater royal in 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 Barkerville with with Iona by my side you know like those 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 experiences it was just crazy it was it was really something else being up in Barkerville no kidding and to you know that's yeah. that specific experience itself that uh, that is unrecreatable like you're it's so fascinating to hear experiences like that that uh, people have had here in the caribou that uh, really tie in so many levels of uh, interest and so many levels of influence I think that uh, uh, learning more about yourself and your history and your connection to Barkerville and and the question that I have for you Thomas is when we talk about mm-hmm. Barkerville it's hard not to when we talk about tourism in the Caribou-Chilcotin Coast region it is almost impossible to not talk about Barkerville yeah. how important do you think Barkerville is to the tourism success of the region Oh, I think it's highly important. I, I, I think it's absolutely crucial. In my experiences, that Barkerville often is what draws people here. It, it draws people in the first place or it brings them back. Like I talked to hundreds of thousands of people over the years who said, I came here with my parents, you know, like in the in the 70s when when you had 2.5 kids all crammed into into a station wagon and <laughs> mom and dad drove up from from Abbotsford, you know, mm-hmm. and then these people are coming back. They want to relive their experience. They're driving up to Barkerville, but then on their way up to Barkerville, they they see the caribou, you know, they come through Cash Creek, they come through 100 Mile House, they see Williams Lake. Now they're mountain bikers, they're hikers, they're canoeists, they, they look for, they look for, 
opportunities that go hand in hand with their two, three days in Barkerville and and they keep coming back. So I think Barkerville is sort of our 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 anchor. You know, it's there and it will always be there and it brings people up to the interior to the Caribou to Coton. And then once people come they are drawn back. They start discovering, you know, even just the drive from from Quinell to Wells Barkerville. If you know, if if you imagine you're coming up from the lower mainland, all of a sudden you're driving an hour without hardly seeing a house. You know, mm-hmm. you are almost guaranteed to see moose along the road. You know, you you might see a couple bears. It's just spectacular. So to do this drive and then you end up in this beautiful artistic village of Wales and seven kilometers down the road you enter Barkerville like what an experience so I think it it creates this spark in 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 people's mind to say hey there is so much to see in the caribou we experienced Barkerville now let's plan a holiday up in the interior I couldn't agree more so uh, I want to get back to your story, Thomas. Now, you, uh, we've finished a chapter in your life where you uh, were heavily involved in Barkerville. And then mm-hmm. from there, uh, I know that you are also now very heavily involved in the mountain biking community uh, at large, not just in Williams Lake, but I think even broader than that, in the, in the broader caribou. Uh, tell me about your transition into that role and why mountain biking? Yeah, you know that's it's 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 really interesting to have this this chat with you because it shows me how 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 things are so intertwined. How from one step you go to the next. So living in in Wales, Barkerville, I. I got heavily involved uh, in in trail maintenance and trail building through the Wells and Area Trail Society. I've um, o- over the past thirty years, I've been I've been sitting on many many boards in the interior, and I've been I've been chairing a lot of boards over the years. So I became president of the Wells and Area Trail Society, and that really sparked my interest in in trail construction, trail planning, uh, but also in in in, in, in running a, a, a smaller non-profit organization so when so after 15 years in Barkerville I was I was ready to 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 have a change in my life and, and I spent so much time indoors inside working with a lot of people I thought a, a change to to trail building and the mountain bike world would almost be the the, the 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 opposite. I'm I'm outside often alone or with a small crew. I'm doing a lot of physical work, uh, hard work. I always like working with with chainsaws, so I thought that's a big part of the trail building world. And I also saw an opportunity back then. Mountain biking became more and more popular businesses like Red Shreds here in Williams Lake. My friend Mark, he grew leaps and bounds. He sold more and more mountain bikes. And he was a, he was a leader in the, in, the, in the trail building community and mm-hmm. in the mountain bike community in general. So I had lots of discussions with him and I thought, I, I think I can do this. I have a background as a project manager in planning, in consulting work. So I thought if I if I can 
if I can get the construction end of things right, then that might be that might be a career. And I I want a bit on my first large scale uh, trail construction contract in the Wells Barkerville area where we worked with up to 20, 20, 20 guys on my crew all summer to rebuild some of the old trails, some new trails. And from there on it 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 grew. It became really, really big. Uh, it was partly because of the timing. There was a need of, of for for trail construction. Not a lot of people were doing it. We have thousands and thousands of very good volunteer trail builders in the province, but we have very few construction and we have even less trail planning companies and that's where i saw a niche for myself and a chance to to combine my my business skills my planning skills my non-profit skills with with the construction side of it so it became it became a real business over the last 12 years i'm i'm building trails all over the province i literally work from bella Coola to the rocky mountains and from whitehorse to to hope and agassi so we we I, I have crews um my my business is almost split in three different segments now where a big part of it is the trail planning side that is authoring uh trail master plans for communities then the construction end which is very similar to the to the tree planting world almost. You have a crew leader, you have crews often in very remote locations and they build trails often from one month to six months for, for some of the larger projects. And then this third part of my of my uh, business life and that's where it goes back full circle to to Hatsulis, uh, my work with the aboriginal youth mountain bike program where we train first nations crews where we get first nations youth into mountain biking uh, where we host uh, workshops and riding skills clinic so so that's how I transitioned into in, in, into into the mountain bike trail building world. And because I'm I'm I've been doing it for many years now, I I'm I I would say I'm one of the more prominent trail advocates in the in in in, in the province by mm -hmm. now. Yeah, yeah, I, I would yeah. definitely agree with that, Thomas. Uh, now, when it comes to mountain biking and the the trail networks that we have here in the Caribou, th thanks mm -hmm. a large part in uh, to you and the work that you do, and you also mentioned Mark Savard, and uh, you know I've known Mark for many many years, and uh, and he is uh, by and large. He's a bit of an unsung hero. I know he likes to share the spotlight and, and shine it back onto the mountain biking community. Uh, can I get your perspective, Thomas, on the quality, and this might be a bit of an unfair question, but the quality of trail networks that we have here in the Caribou on an international scale? Because we know, I know, that people will travel all around the world with their bikes. Uh, you know, sport tourism is definitely huge. And I want to know how we compare in the Caribou on a mountain biking scale against places like Whistler, against places like uh, even some areas in South America. Where does the Caribou uh, fit into that on a ranking scale? It's it's unmatched, and I 
I understand that this might come across as very biased, but there are there are several there are several reasons why we have world class trails. Uh, and and yes, a lot of a lot of credit goes back to to Mark Savar, who had the foresight of of working on the legalization process with rec sites and trails. So so there there has been a long history of of legal trails in Williams Lake. That's that's a big part of why why we're so successful but the real reason is the sheer size of our trails you know if as a trail planner if i go to a new community that has no trails let's say clinton as an example smaller community in the interior no mountain bike trails whatsoever to speak of if a community like clinton would start developing trails that have a chance of drawing people and 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 retaining them for half a day or a day i would recommend to that community you need anywhere between 25 and 30 kilometers of trail quality professionally built high-end trails to start with that would get a couple that travels from vancouver to prince george to stop spend the night spend some money go to the campground eat lunch have breakfast the next morning in williams lake to put it in perspective we have 400 kilometers of trails in five different networks. We've got Fox Mountain, we've got Williams Lake West side, we've got South Lake side, we've got the Desu network, and we've got the Soda Creek network. So the amount of variety, the easy shuttle access for those people who want a vehicle access to the trailheads, it's it's pretty much unmatched. There is something for every style, every type of mountain biker out there in the Williams Lake area that network uh, southwest of town about a 20 minute drive out of town it's steeper it's gnarlier you've got double black trails that are from expert mountain bike riders that is absolutely spectacular that draws a lot of people to that network in williams lake we've got beginner trails now we've got green trails we've got flowy trails that are that are inviting for people that can get people into the hobby if if you're traveling with your partner and one of you is a better rider you can still ride the same trails Uh, so there is just so much out here in williams lake um that's that's really drawing people and and the traffic is changing i'm sure you noticed how many mountain bikers we see this year people are not traveling to the states they're not traveling internationally Mm -hmm. so they come and try out new destinations you know and we have a couple excellent mountain bike destinations in in northern bc or in the interior vale mount would be one of them burns lake in the north but williams lake is still unmatched and now the exciting thing the new thing that's happening is that after years and years of lobbying by us the caribou mountain bike consortium other communities are really getting on board. 100 Mile House just developed a handful of new trails, very fun, flowy, easy trails for everyone to enjoy. And then Quinell got on board the last two, three years. There is a major push in, in trail development in Quinell. So now, we 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 have to we have to look at at a corridor approach we can't just get people up to williams lake you can easily spend three four days or a week here in williams lake but mountain bikers that are traveling typically want to experience a couple different communities and this is really 
the the benefit that's 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 out there now that all these other communities are coming on board you can't stop in 100 mile house spend the afternoon there you come up to williams lake spend two three days here go to quinell spend two three days in quinell visit barkerville maybe do a wilderness ride in the wells area you get up into alpine and then you come back to williams lake on your way back home so you know the amenities are growing uh, we have a brewery now in williams lake which mm-hmm. is fabulous mountain bikers want breweries you know <laughs> if you if you go to fox mountain brewing you know every second every second vehicle has has bikes loaded on a bike rack so you know it's it's that kind of thing that makes williams lake a world-class destination and the other the other bonus that we're having is a lot of people are getting are getting tired of riding whistler or the the lift access the the trail networks where you have to pay you get on a chairlift and your bike and yourself are transported to the top of the mountain and then you do gravity rides down people have done that for so many years they've been to whistler they've been to silver star they've been to sun peak so now they are looking for new destinations and that's exactly where our opportunity lies well, that's fantastic, Thomas. And when it comes to mountain biking, I, I I know mountain biking in Williams Lake, the term Shangri-La gets used yeah. quite often. And uh, is that a fair assessment? In my opinion, 100%. Yeah, I I ride bikes all over the world. Uh, my my partner and I, we travel to, to mountain bike in to, to many different countries and, and absolutely all over BC. So... Every time I come back to Williams Lake and think, wow, we really have it going on here. It's just that variety. You'd be hard-pressed to ride every, every single trail in one season here at Williams Lake. So I I would call it the Shangri-La of mountain biking, absolutely. And then every time I get visiting riders, and I, I, I often have, have mountain bike journalists, photographers, professional riders come to visit to check out this area, and and, and, and they all they all agree. You know, that is just, yeah, I don't think that's disputable. It's, it's an amazing place to live if you're a so Thomas, I get the feeling that we could talk tourism and, and sports, uh, you know, probably for hours and hours and hours. Um, I, I'm going to ask you, uh, come at you from a different angle. What mm-hmm. what challenges do you see that the region has when it comes to bolstering tourism in our area? What aren't we doing? In in my mind, it's 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 all about amenities, to be honest. And I and I understand that that is tricky. It's it's your typical catch twenty two situations. I I would love to see uh, more variety when it comes to restaurants. I know that that's what mountain bikers are looking for. I I should clarify a little bit. Not everybody might might be familiar with who mountain bikers or who traveling mountain bikers really are it's not the 22 year old dirt bag mm-hmm, in, his, yeah. in in his truck that only camps and 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 that brings pre-prepared meals with him we are talking about people just like me and my wife you know in their in their mid 40s to early 60s who travel, who have expensive mountain bikes on their vehicles, who are looking for nice accommodation, nice Airbnbs, nice hotel rooms, who are looking for good food, good meals, who are looking for 
craft beer, craft brewing. To, uh, that's where the that's where Fox Mountain Brewing comes in. It, it's it really is all about amenities. There are a lot of destinations in BC now that have good trails to offer. It's 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 not difficult to hire a company like my own and build a signature trail for X amount of dollars and have a really great trail in your community. But it doesn't help you if you can't retain people overnight. And and I think that's the big challenge for Williams Lake. Our arts and culture scene is growing. So that's a good thing. As a mountain biker, if I can go and see a concert at night, that's a bonus. That's fabulous. If I can hit performances in the park, wonderful. If I can go to the Station House Gallery and 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 buy a gift for my sister-in-law on the way back home, that's 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 a bonus. So you know, in my mind, it's really about amenities. Uh, uh, a great campsite, you know, with with good hookup uh, potential, uh, good amenities at the campsite that allows people to maybe leave their camper parked and, and not have to not have to travel to the trailheads. Those are all things that, that mountain bikers are looking for. And in the end, in my opinion, they come here anyway. So now it's more about retaining them here, keeping them for those extra two days. And 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 get that economic benefit flowing to the community. All right, it's good to have your perspective, uh, especially from someone who is so integrated in, uh, especially the mountain biking community, to know what it is we need to do more from a community level or from a, a local economy level on how we can capitalize on these people that you say, and and we both know that they're already coming here. Let's give them a reason mm-hmm. to stay an extra couple of days. And what is yes. it that's going to make them stay? Uh, I think you're right when yeah. when you say it's it's going to be amenities. A bit of a catch twenty two. Yeah. You're right uh, because yes, we want more businesses, uh, and it's always a tipping point, right? It's always a bit of a balancing act for trying to encourage new business to come. And they will come when there are more people or when the market says that it's right and it's ready. But uh, when you talk to locals, I I think, again, people like you and I know, we're ready. And now is probably a better time than ever, I think, to encourage new business growth in communities in rural BC, period. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, we see what's going on when it comes to the cost of living in centers like Vancouver and Victoria and Kelowna that, you know, sure, they have some amenities, but it is incredibly expensive to live there. And we have um, we have the, the breeding ground, if you will, for long-term success. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. I would 100% agree. And you know what? I mean, I've, I've been talking about the opportunities that we have at this point in time, but I think we also, as a as a city, we have to keep in mind that that our competition is growing and it's growing fast and it's growing strong. A lot of communities now have a dedicated uh, trail coordinator. Uh, Quinell was one of the communities with that foresight who hired a trails coordinator. You know, and that's it's a part-time position, but it doesn't matter. It's an excellent start. So all of a sudden, the liaison between the mountain bike clubs and the builders and the 
construction site and the funders is not on the economic development officers of a city uh, but it, it there is there is a there's a dedicated person who is looking after that field we just need to recognize as a community that there's a real opportunity out there and that it will be beneficial to our businesses here in in in, in this town so i I know the, the city of Williams Lake was always extremely supportive of the mountain bike world. It has been for a long time, but we almost need to see this grow to another level or we will lose our competitive edge when it comes to when it comes to, to other communities. The one of the big problems too is, and I mean that is true for any other nonprofit organization, is the decline in, in, in volunteerism. So more and more stress is put on on the volunteers that are actively out there maintaining those trails. And I believe this is where the city needs to step it up a little bit and say, we need to support these trails. If the quality of the trails is going downhill, no pun intended, then <laughs> then then we're gonna then then we're going to lose out on a certain market segment. We're going to lose out on those people who are a bit older, who maybe have more income, more disposable income. So we need to keep our trails maintained. And it can't just be wreck sites and trails and, and the volunteer community's responsibility to do so. So, yeah, so we need, we need the city to, to at least recognize this need. All right. You'll get no argument from me, Thomas. <laughs> uh, we're coming close to the end of our time, and I, I want to get back to your story. And at this point, my only question that I have left for you, Thomas, is what's next for you? You know, I'm I'm very, very happy uh, with how things are going. I, I, I think the next 10 years will see me continue in the, in the mountain bike industry. Um, a more and more planning, community consultation. You know, a lot of the things we just talked uh, the, the the past twenty minutes uh, uh, are things that I discuss with many communities out there, all 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 over the province. I love that work. I love the stakeholder engagement work, and 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 the teaching. If I can shift a bit more to teaching work, uh, maybe help develop a curriculum for the trail maintenance and trail construction that is something that i that i have a huge interest in uh, more speaking engagements uh, but in in general i'm i'm very happy with 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 how things are going work wise and and you know more more important than that i'm very happy with my community and 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 the place i i live in so i i'm 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 a lifelong resident and and yeah this is this is my home fantastic thomas thank you very much for sharing your time with me today it was it was super interesting chatting with you it was 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 really fun thank you so much for the opportunity i really appreciate it Last question, uh, I guess. Is, so now this is my final last question, and that is, if people okay. if people want to find out more about some of the things that you're involved in, Thomas, like the Mountain Bike Consortium or the Williams Lake Cycling Club, do you have uh, quickly a reference of where people can find out some more information? Absolutely. Uh, the the best the best website to find information on what's going on in the Caribou would be. Right, right. The caribou.ca. So, as in riding a bike, right. The caribou.ca. Uh, 
that's our main site and that site is also used by the Williams Lake Cycling Club. So you'll find uh, information on trail closures, on new trail construction, that sort of thing. And then if you want to find out a little bit more about what my company is up to, uh, what what I'm doing, you can always visit my my website with a lot of uh, updates on what's going on in the Caribou 2. And that is First Journey Trails. So first as in number one, journey as in traveltrails.com, firstjourneytrails.com. Awesome. Thomas, Sean, thanks again. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. You've been listening to the Untold Stories of the Caribou Tilcotin Coast podcast with Jason Ryle. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you find your podcasts. Learn more about the region by visiting landwithoutlimits.com. Thanks for listening.